I felt like I needed to achieve some measure of success in order to then turn around and kind of almost then focus on my definition of success. And I think if I follow that, the rest will take care of itself in terms of, I think, a combination of probably caring less what other people think. And, you know, I think society's definition has changed, you know, with the focus on mental health, all all that sort of thing. So now it feels good to just actually feel like I'm focusing on my version of what success looks like rather than other people's. Welcome to the Rebel Souls Podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelley Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. This is a Soulfire production. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. I'm sending you all a big juicy hug from Chicago where it is fall. Finally, crisp air. I get to wear all my favorite clothes, as you guys know, my leather jackets and skinny jeans and boots and scarves and furry vests. So someone is coming to you from her happy place, sitting here in a furry vest and feeling all warm and fuzzy because this conversation is so deeply soulful. It's one that I have been wanting to bring to you guys for a while now. Courtney Ream is not only a high-powered leader and venture capitalist, he has become a dear friend and soul brother of mine. And how we met will blow your ever-loving mind. It still gives me goosebumps. It is still one of those, did that actually fucking happen moments in my life that we tell in the conversation. So please be sure not to miss this. This is, this is really a reminder of what can happen. What does happen when we show up in the world as our full, authentic, badass, vulnerable selves? People connect with us and our work. We strike a chord in their hearts and souls. And that's exactly what happened. Courtney got connected with my book through Thrive Global, Ariana Huffington's company. Her website featured an excerpt from my book. Courtney is on the board of directors of Thrive Global. He and Ariana are close. He's a huge advocate for her work and frankly for investing in and creating brands that that create impact toward global change in the world. And he believes in the mental health conversation that we're having and the need to change how we live and how we lead. And we got connected. So if you're ever listening to this, thank you, Courtney, for reaching out to me. And thank you, Ariana, for your team featuring my work so people could find it and get connected with it and be inspired by it. I'm forever grateful. So amazing stuff happens, you guys. 
So Courtney and I be, end up, he sends me a cold email. We end up becoming fast friends. We meet in Chicago. We have since had many just deep, soulful conversations about what our idea of success is and how success has success in quotes has evolved for each one of us. And what does it mean to him in this case to be successful today? What does that look like? What is he struggling with? What is he trying to create in his life? It's easy to look at somebody like Courtney, who is, as he says, a reformed investment banker. He started his career at Goldman Sachs. He graduated from Harvard Business School. He and his brother started Vive Spirits as entrepreneurs coming out of Goldman Sachs. And then they sold that company and co-founded what they now run, which is M13. They describe it as a brand development and investment company that accelerates businesses that are at the intersection of consumer products, technology, and media. So they're an incubator of sorts, and they're putting hundreds of millions of dollars behind brands that are driving change in those spaces, some of which you know, you've heard of Warby Parker and Pinterest and Lyft and Kavita and Crave Jerky and Bonobos and so many others that they've been early investors in. And they're working with big companies like Thrive Global and Procter and Gamble to really drive change. And, and one of the many things I love about Courtney is that he is a mission-driven, purpose-driven, soul-driven leader. He truly is an impact billionaire. You guys have heard me talk about this phrase before, somebody who believes not only in ROI as return on investment, but ROI as ripples of impact in the world. And my book resonated with him because it really kind of called into question for him how he's rethinking a lot of his mission and vision and purpose and how he wants to drive change, how he wants to lead in the world going forward, how he wants to have his impact and leave his imprint in this world. And we get to dive deep into who Courtney is behind, you know, the glossy exterior of this high-powered executive. I get the real Courtney. You get the real Courtney. He showed up in such a beautiful way as my soul brother, as a fellow leader who's in the middle of figuring it out, being vulnerable, being emotional, sharing what he's creating in this moment, how he's defining success in this season of his life, what he's hoping to create, the influential role of his father. I mean, you guys, this is so powerful because it's rare that we get to go behind the scenes with somebody who is leading one of the foremost venture capital firms and you know funding some of the brands that are changing our lives or impacting our lives in at least some way so he takes us there and where he is on his journey right now as a friend as a leader as a venture capitalist and as my soul brother. And I'm going to dive right into the conversation so you can hear how we met and 
the role that Ariana plays in both of our lives. And I know you guys will get some juicy nuggets as you continue to rewrite your own script of success. So enjoy. Oh, Courtney, this is so amazing to have this conversation with you because I don't know if you realize this, but it is just over a year after you first reached out to me. Did you remember that? It was the end of July of 2020. Wow. Time flies. I would have said it was about that. Thank you for bringing up our anniversary. I did not know exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh my God. Happy anniversary. There you go. There you go. Well, I have to say, because you and I have been talking about having this conversation for a long time and your schedule, my schedule, life, COVID, all the things happened and here we are. And so I thought in preparation for this, I'm going to go back and find the email you sent me. And I won't read it out loud to everybody because (laughs) I want to talk about it. I want to talk about, first of all, I'm going to describe where I was and what I was doing when I saw this come through on my phone and that I would love to open it up to have you describe what was going on and what prompted you to reach out to me. Clearly, you were reading my book at the time, and I will never forget. So the email actually says July 25th of 2020. And I remember I was taking a long walk. And when I do my long walk, you're originally from Chicago. You know Chicago well. We've we've now met here in Chicago. And I was walking from Bucktown over to the lake, and I was in Lincoln Park. And on the screen of my phone, I see an email alert pop up and it says, Ariana Huffington slash Soulbatical. And I was like, well, that's just too intriguing not to pause on this corner, on this street corner. And was like, wait, what? What? And I proceeded to open this note and meet you virtually and... It was so funny to me. Y'all let you say what you said. And at the end, you told you said, here's my info and a couple of links, including a book my brother and I wrote a few years ago in case you need a little background if you're worried slash curious slash interested. And I was like, who the fuck is this human? And of course, you said you have a relationship with Ariana and you sit on her board of directors of her business Thrive Global. And my curiosity was piqued. And so I I would love to share, I would love for you to share with our Rebel Souls community, like what was going on? What prompted you to reach out to me that created this friendship that we now have? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I, um, I'm sorry to disappoint with that subject line that it wasn't something uh, something better, but I, I have been told that I use very good subject lines. I'm very good at um, when I want getting people's attention. So it was all, all downhill from there. But as I like to joke, uh, you know, it's not hard to figure out Tim Cook's email these days, at least one of his emails, it's hard to get Tim Cook to reply. So yeah, there lies some of the, uh, some of the game, but, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure which way the relationship went. And as, as you said, um, the relationship with, with thrive, I, um, read a lot of their content since I'm on the board of, of, uh, Ariana's company thrive global. Yours was one of the, uh, book picks, I believe. Um, you know, different things land with you at different times at different moments. When I saw the book, I was just like, wow, it's, I, the, I love the name, love the branding and just kind of spoke to me. So uh, I guess uh, I must have ordered it. And it was the kind of book you can read in 
one or two sittings. So I believe I, I read it pretty quickly. And I just said, you know, I'm kind of at a point in life where when I, when I come across anyone or anything that speaks to me, you know, we all get busy. We're all doing other things. I always just try to reach out because why not? And who, who knows? And that was, that was the genesis, but certainly it was in the moment of really enjoying um, your book and just kind of finding me at the, the right time. Well, and these things always find us at the right time, right? It's like, there is no coincidence that it, it landed with you. And what I, what I love and what you, a little bit of what you shared with me that, you know, piqued my curiosity, there were so many similarities between the two of us, right? You're originally from Chicago. You have this beautiful, influential relationship with your father, who you'd lost a few years prior as you were writing your own book, also published by Simon & Schuster with an orange cover, I might (laughs) add. Like all of these crazy, and Ariana, who I have since told you, and I tell anybody who will listen, she's on my personal board of directors. She just doesn't know it yet. And you and I are going to sit down and tell her one day in LA over coffee, I know it's going to happen. We're getting very and, close to that day. I feel it. I feel yay, it. I'm, I, you I'm know probably what? even going to send this to Ariana just just so she knows it's real. And I'll be like, we spent the first however many minutes talking about you, Ariana. I so love it. I love it. Well, she is. She's she is was our initial connection point, right? Mm-hmm. She is truly what brought us together. And I feel like we were meant to come together regardless because we've both been on a soul journey. And you said in your email, one so in addition to what I just said, you also said I'm, I'm how did you describe it? You said I'm a reformed golden Goldman Sachs investment banker. And you know, I talk about myself as a corporate refugee. And I was like, okay, this guy speaks my language. This is interesting. And so (laughs) I think it's, there were so many different points that spoke to me. And I was like, well, of course my book found you. Of course, Ariana's work brought us together, right? These, like the journey we're both on is just going to keep opening these doors and creating these very serendipitous connections, right? (laughs) So Absolutely. I I loved it. Yeah, go ahead. Because I think me five years ago, I would have thought I would have either not noticed the serendipity or thought, oh, that's just like an odd coincidence, but never kind of thought it could be some bigger thing at at play. So it's funny because I, I feel very differently about fortuitous connections and interactions like like ours than I did five years ago. And that's honestly a big part of kind of the the soul journey for me. Well, let's step into that. I love you just you just set up exactly where I was hoping we might go. So let's talk about what the last five years have been like for you because it's so apparent to me. I mean, you're you've got the pedigree, right? And I everybody you've been interviewed by the biggest media outlets and everybody's interested in the huge investments that you and your brother are making as part of the VC company that you run and whatever. And that's not what I'm interested in talking about. What I want to talk about is exactly what you just said. You know, I, in my intro, I'll tell everybody, you know, how amazing you are and all your accomplishments. But at the end of the day, it's really about the journey that we're on. And so what has happened for you in the po- the past five years that has led to this connection that's led you on a soul journey to even say those words? I imagine they're probably not words you would have said five years ago. 
So how did that all start? Was there an impetus? Was it your losing your father? What it what was it for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, it's really when when you frame it that way, it's been a really interesting five years of I think the whole human experience. I mean, I think I've had some of my highest highs and uh, certainly my my lowest lows too. And um, yeah, I think going back about five years, I think it started with. Uh, we, my brother and I sold our first company that we started called Viva, a kind of organic, um, alcohol company. And, you know, it's great to start something and sell it, but it's, it's kind of like finishing your final exams in school. Like when you're studying, you always think about how great it's going to feel when you finish exams and when you finish, you're like, Oh, okay, it's done. But it doesn't ever feel quite as profound or as good, at least for me, as I used to imagine it was going to feel. And that was a little bit of the first feeling and um, you know, we didn't sell our company for a billion dollars or anything. So maybe that was part of the feeling, but that kind of got us onto our, you know, next hamster wheel of, of starting our, our current holding company M13, where we, as you said, invest in consumer tech brands and start consumer tech brands. And, you know, it all just starts to go um, really quickly for better or for worse. And um, uh, unbeknownst to, to me or to anyone, um, as you said, about a year after we sold our, uh, company, we lost my dad really, really kind of out of the blue. Uh, I don't want to go into the whole story, but it was something that I think probably was preventable. And, but we basically lost him in a, in a week with very little notice, no chance to say goodbye. And, um, you know, I kind of, take risk for a living and bet on myself and other people's companies for a living. And I would have bet a lot of money on a lot of things happening before that. And, um, you know, there's, there's very few things in life that happen that change everything. And this, this was one of those. So I think it just changed everything in terms of making me reframe, like, wow, what am I, what am I doing? Like I've always felt, you know, so young and time's on your side and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And all of a sudden you look up and, you know, going back to the Goldman Sachs days, but even before that, you know, Columbia and Harvard and even high school and everything growing up, you're just like, wow, I haven't stopped really hustling and grinding for several decades now. And um, yeah, why am I doing it and rethinking all of it? And what, what mountain am I climbing or what am I doing it for? And so that's really been, I think the thrust of the last five years is how can I keep starting things building new things. We've, we've now got one of, if not the largest venture capital firms in LA, we've started 10 brands in the last two years as part of our, our team and holding company. And then we spin them off. But I think now I'm doing all that with an eye toward, you know, what's my, what's my, so what, and what's my North star, because in the pretty, pretty short term here, I don't really want to be doing anything that doesn't feel like it's feeding something bigger. I don't know why I'm doing it. So it's a little bit of a, if it, I've been, you know, it's always been, if it's not a hell yeah, it's no, but now it needs to be like, if it's not a hell yeah, but I know exactly why I'm doing it for what purpose, then it needs to be a no. Cause I've done some hell yeahs that didn't uh, lead to kind of my, you know, bigger, bigger goals. How do you describe, because this is one of the very first conversations you and I had. So we did it that we did after the email, the now infamous email. <laughs> we did, we did get together in Chicago. We got to share a cocktail at Soho House. And we dove in around this whole idea of mission and purpose and how we think about it. And like you said, like, what is the bigger thing that we are connected to, that we are being pulled toward, that we are on this earth to serve really. And so 
I guess, how would you articulate that for you, at least where you are in the journey? Because it can change over time. And I remember having that conversation with you too. It's like, there's not just one purpose that we were put on. Some people might have one purpose. Others might have many. It might evolve over time. In this moment, you know, in the summer, almost fall of 2021, as you and I are talking how do you think about your mission and your purpose in the world? And how does what you're doing today relate to that? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's kind of like my favorite question and my least favorite question at the same time in that depending on the mood I'm in the day, the glass is sometimes half full and half empty, half, half full in that I feel like I'm doing great things with extraordinary opportunity and I love my life and half empty in that I'm still not not sure that I feel totally connected to um, an exact purpose all the time. And as you said, I've gotten comfortable that there might not just be one. And, um, you know, I've also, I guess, try, I've also, I've always felt like, okay, I've done plenty of mission, vision, purpose statements, or whatever you want to call it, worked with plenty of life coaches. And I've always had this, oh, I want to have this like grandiose purpose or have this big statement. And some of my other friends just have like a very simple sentence that anyone anyone could read and, and it's very intelligible. And so I go back and forth on, on all that stuff, honestly, still, um, I feel like I'm in this, you know, it's a little bit, this to me is the same as probably it mirrors in some ways, my journey with spirituality, meaning I feel like I'm super aware of it, making progress and just not there, there. And I don't know if I'll know when I'm there, there, or I don't know if I'll for better or for worse, I'm very much a seeker. So I'm kind of always looking for the next thing, looking around the next corner, always seeking more and being curious. And I feel like right now I'm a little bit in that. Um, David Brooks is also one of my favorite offers along with mm. you, of course, Shelly. And I love, you know, he kind of talks about, you know, for, for people that never have any success, it's of course tough. And then it's tough in different ways for people who've had some measure of success and everyone needs to kind of reassess and figure out their second, second or next mountain to climb. And I feel like I'm, somewhere on the ascent of that second mountain. I'm just not sure I've deciphered the map as to exactly where that's taking me yet. I'm curious when, so I've had a lot of conversations with my, with my community and on this podcast that, you know, it really isn't about the there, there or the mountain peak or, you know, whether it's the first or the second or the third mountain or the right mountain or not the right mountain, but it's really about who you're becoming in the process of realizing your dreams. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious your, like, what does that bring up for you? When I say who you are becoming, like, how would you describe who you're becoming over the past five years on this journey and who you want to become? Mm -hmm. I think who I'm becoming, uh, it's a, probably a little less about the, uh, the what, because some of that's probably been in my DNA for a while. And, and no matter, you know, the great part about what I do with M13 is I can some days be much more of an investor, some days be more, much more of an entrepreneur. I have an excuse to reach out to all kinds of people from all walks of life. And so that's very um, fulfilling and satiating. But um, I think the how I do it is what's really changed over the last um, you know couple of years. I think um, I've gotten much more in touch with just, you know, many ways to get things done and try to lead more with I guess love is as cheesy as that sounds, even in you know business relationships. Um, 
you know, I think we're all selfish, but I certainly think if you look at me 10 years ago, I was, I was a lot more about, um, sometimes had a mindset of, Oh, if I'm, if I'm winning, someone else must be losing versus, you know, win-win situations and just trying to create, um, those because I love, I love things that are win-win versus zero sum games. Love trying to do it from a place of, I think just more vulnerability, more empathy. So I think it's hard for me to, you know, when you're with yourself every day, you lose weight, you gain weight, you don't notice it because you're looking at yourself every day. But I would like to think that I've made a lot of changes over the last four or five years, especially, um, you know, as a result of, of losing my dad. And when I, when there's other groups that are, are close to me, but don't see me daily, but see me weekly or monthly, like my YPO forum, um, you know, I'm really happy that I feel like a bunch of them have said, you're a totally different person than you were four or five years ago. So that makes me feel like, all right, things are headed in the right direction. Um, and just want to kind of keep on that path. I think that's really beautiful empathy and vulnerability. And it, it, it is about the how, right? And leadership, the face of leadership is changing and must change. And those are two of the things that I talk about all the time, like bringing more humanity into our leadership and our culture, more vulnerability, more empathy, more courage, more kindness, so yeah. much of what you just said. So knowing that that's something that you're really present to and bringing into your work, because you touch a lot of people, a lot of organizations, you have a big imprint in the work that you do. So that just makes me smile <laughs> knowing that you are, that you're, you're modeling that and paying it forward. I'm curious when you think about what you just said and you think about, I know that your dad was an incredibly influential figure in your life and your brother's life and your whole family's life. I mean, very similar in terms of, you know, our fathers and the role that they played in our family what do you think he's most proud of watching you over these past several years? I think first he'd probably be really proud of the way we've, um, you know, kind of come together after losing him. Um, sorry, still get a little emotional. Um, but I also think, you know, he and my mom were married 50 years, um, mm. just a couple months shy when he passed away. So, you know, obviously just taking care of my mom, obviously all of us coming together, I think probably that, you know, first and foremost. Um, yeah. I think also that, uh, you know, he was, it was just a different time and he was always very focused on, um, setting us up for success and opportunity. And that put a lot of emphasis on achievement, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, but I do think he would be proud to see that we kind of haven't lost sight of that, but are also just being, you know, very thoughtful about what, what all our next steps are, because I think he would, above all else, want to make sure, you know, we're, we're feeling fulfillment and happiness and everything else. I think it's, it's balancing those two. I love that. It, it segues perfectly to something that's been on my heart for a while. And so I'm going to ask you, how has your definition of success? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for being so vulnerable with us and, and sharing because I know, I know, I mean, you and I have had conversations about our fathers and you know that I get emotional every time too. So thank you for letting me go there and for being so real in, in going there. So I'm curious, like when you think about success, how has your definition of success evolved over time. I mean, I talk about it as successful versus success empty, which you've heard me say, you've read in the book. And that to me means 
success with fulfillment, where we're filling ourselves up from the inside out, not trying to fill ourselves with these empty things of accolades and titles and money and, and all the things. And I'm curious how, how do you describe it? How do you think about it in your own life? This crazy thing called success, because <laughs> by, by all traditional definitions, you've been wildly successful and, you know, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think success, you know, I think the biggest thing that's changed in my view of success is I used to feel very shackled to um, other people's definition of success for me and, and, and otherwise. And, um, you know, I don't have too many regrets and I think everything happens for a reason, but I do think in my particular case, I felt like I needed to achieve some measure of success in order to then turn around and kind of almost then focus on my definition of success. And I think I'm kind of in the throes of that where um, I haven't had all the success I want even by other people's standards, but I think I've had enough that I can at least give myself permission to, to try to focus on my definition of being a, a you know successful person, a successful human being. And then if I follow that, um, the rest will take care of itself in terms of I think a combination of probably caring less what other people think. And, you know, I think society's definition has changed and, and you know, with the focus on mental health, all, all that sort of thing. So now it feels good to just actually feel like I'm focusing on my version of what success looks like rather than other people's. What is an example of that in your life? Like how, how are you showing up in a way that feels, you know, dead on for how you think about success and maybe society would go, really? You think that? Well, I think money is the most obvious one. I mean, you know, I, I, I hate to make it about that, but I do think there's, you know, I've been in a different, different circles for a lot of my life where that is kind of the most easy uh, measuring stick because it's the most quantitative and the most apples to apples. And so I think, I think, that has been kind of the ugly truth that I've benchmarked a lot of stuff against that for a long time. And then at some point when it's not about the money or less about the money, I'm starting to feel like I can benchmark it um, against other things, kind of like impact or am I starting or investing in the kind of companies that are, are additive to the world? Am I doing things that are pioneering or new kinds of products that people haven't seen? All, all of those sort of things are among the type of things that I'm asking myself, like, oh, I think this could be a really good company to start, but it's not in a space I'm interested in, or I don't think it's really doing anything to improve people's lives into the future. And so those are the things that I'm um, saying no to more, even if I think they'd be successful. And frankly, there's also that element of you know who you, who you work with, right? I, I've uh, been lucky. I haven't worked with many of the proverbial a-holes that people talk about, but I just feel like you know it's great to, to not feel... I think for a long time, I felt like, oh, if I could get this person to work with me or collaborate or meet this person. Now I kind of feel like I've been really lucky and that if I don't meet another new person my whole life, I still uh, feel like I have an incredible network that can help me with almost anything if I tap into it the right way. And so many great people, you being an example of people that I already would like to spend more time with. And so mm -hmm. that feels good that I didn't you know, I think if I was younger and the pandemic hit, I would have been in this frenzied, how am I going to, I hate network because it's kind of a dirty word for me, but it's kind of like, how would I, how would I build new relationships? How would I get out there? How would I meet more people? Now I'm kind of like, I'm happy to do, you know, podcasts in my shorts here and just spend more time with, with, you know, the current group of people that I, that I call my friends and, and colleagues. 
I love it. Well, you know, you you are in that circle for me as well. So thank you. Thank you for saying that. And it actually, that's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about this. Well, maybe less time thinking about it and more time curating who who are my people. And I just did a I just did a solo episode that'll come out before this where I was talking about the investments we make in ourselves. Because I think we talk about money and we talk about investments and we talk about, but but people aren't investing in themselves in their dreams. And part of an investment for me is an invest is investing in relationships. So who are those people who are challenging you, who are inspiring you, who are pushing you further than you ever knew you could go? who, you know, what are those investments you want to make like community? So you're in the YPO, Young Presidents Organization community. I'm in a number of different communities. People may or may not know. I talk about them. And it's just fascinating to me. So I guess how important is that for you in terms of like curating the people you spend time with? Because whoever said it, I'm going to get the attribution wrong and maybe you know it, but like we are, you know, representative of the five people we spend most of our time with. And so I have found on this journey, we're sitting almost exactly to the date five years ago, I left Harley five years ago. So talk about a journey. You and I have both been on like this incredible journey for the past five years. I walked away. And one of the biggest things that I've done is prune my quote unquote network and really curate my community to help me rise up. Do you feel the same way? Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I ascribe to a lot of different things like Dunbar's law. I don't know if you know how I forgot exactly how it goes, but it's, it's, I mean, whoever Dunbar is, I wish I, I knew exactly who he was, <laughs> but I think, I think he's a couple centuries old yet. Even at the time he said something effective, there's a limit to how many people you can stay in really good touch with. And I think he pegs it at like, Oh, is he the 150 guy? Yeah. It's like 150, yeah. 200. But can you imagine you have all this technology now that he could have never imagined. And it's still probably that number when you think about it. It's probably even less, in fact. And um, so I think about that a lot. Uh, some other, another friend of mine who's actually in YPO with me too, who's very wise, he he keeps a list of his 10 people who he kind of wants to, his 10 friends, who he wants to always make sure he's in close touch with. And he kind of has a list of like his 10 hired guns who he kind of views as like, stay in touch with them because anything I want to make happen, I should be able to make happen, you know, mm. via these 10 people. And I think that's a really interesting way to think, think about it. And, um, to your other point, it's, uh, it, the, the, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I don't know who invented it. The person who showed me that quote is, is, uh, Tony Robbins. And I know we've talked about him. He, he gave me the, uh, book cover quote for my book and talk about, um, kismet serendipity, you know, to go back to my dad, a guy who I'm friendly with, but barely in touch with now invites me to Tony Robbins a month after my dad died. I just cried every day and figured, okay, well, if I'm going to cry every day, might as well do it. It's something like Tony Robbins, this person who I, I don't tell him enough because I haven't been in touch with him as much forced me to come. I went and cried there every day, but it was still really impactful. Didn't meet Tony because there's tens of thousands of people there, but happened to meet a couple of people on Tony's team. And, you know, I figured, all right, if you're not going to know Tony, great to know uh, his health coach or his financial advisor, because, you know, they might even be more valuable. And um, it probably took a couple of years, but fast forward, maybe another two years and 
two, two and a half years ago. Um, I, I met Tony and we hit it off, spent a bunch of um, time together. He's invested in different things we've doing. Um, and then now we're actually uh, starting a, um, a company together around uh, longevity that's going to launch later this year. And so talk about just feeling like you get to be lucky in terms of choosing who you're doing something with. And if someone would have told me four years ago that Tony would give me a quote for the cover of my book and return my texts and leave me voice notes weekly, you know, you just can't ask for much more than that if that's someone that means something to you. And so I think, you know, who you spend your time with and the average of the five people. And um, I, I do feel genuinely like I am richer in just the ability to um, spend time with amazing people and, and have amazing opportunities and do stuff that I could never imagine coming from a, a dirt road, a town, a town of 900 people outside Chicago. I do feel like I'm probably richer that way than, I, than any monetary way because so many of the things mm. that I do and so many of the people I meet are, are truly priceless. And it's more about having a relationship with them or getting to do this than it is saying, oh, I'll spend X amount of money on this because you can't do that. So um, I probably am not grateful for that as often as I should be, but I, but I truly feel that way. Amen. And I love that ties to what you said earlier. I often say that I believe the the true definition of ROI is ripples of impact. Mm. Yes, I get it. Return on investment is the way we've always been taught it. And from a monetary standpoint, I understand that. I mean, that's <laughs> so much of what you do in the VC space, right? And mm. I love to hear you talk about, I mean, from a relationship perspective, from an investment, from a community perspective, from a business perspective, what we're really talking about is having a big fucking impact in the world. Mm -hmm. You are talking about saying like, every time I intentionally choose to engage in a relationship in a business, put my dollars here, put my voice here, put my time and energy here, I want it to have that impact. That's powerful. Yeah, I I can't say much more to that because I agree with everything you said. But I, I that's that's I think why I'm probably as I always am a little too much of a perfectionist and a little too hard on myself as I figure out kind of what feels like the north star because I'm I'm very very uh, meticulous about kind of making sure it has that feel, but I really want to try to be as specific as I can. Yet I do feel like gravitationally, directionally, it's, it's all heading in the way I'd like. Well, and let me remind you, and by that doing that, I'm reminding me and everyone in this community that our purpose isn't a script in our head. It's a story in our soul. And you're so deeply connected to what's in here, to your soul. It sounds to me like you're following the breadcrumbs and that's the best we can all do in the moment. So thank you for modeling that too, because I think purpose makes most of us want to crawl under the desk, curl in the fetal position and suck our thumb, right? Because it's, it's too overwhelming. And what you're doing is saying, no, I'm just, I'm checking in. I'm listening deeply and um, I'm following what feels right, what feels good, what feels impactful. And that's beautiful. Yeah, I think, I mean, listen, I would love if I, life would certainly be easier if I had found my future wife at 21. And at age 14, I knew this is what I always wanted to do, you know, but instead you get into the paradox of choice, um, which is a different therapy session for us. But I think, I think um, I'm grateful that I feel like you know, even if I haven't, if the metal detector hasn't exactly gone off, I feel like it's kind of 
I'm, I'm panning for gold in the right direction. Like I'm, I'm kind of in the, I'm in, I'm in the ballpark, maybe just not on the exact, uh, you know, treasure map just yet. I love it. I love it. Good metaphor. All right. Let's get back to something else you said in this will. This kind of brings Thrive Global back into the fold of our conversation. You mentioned in one of your earlier responses, mental health and the importance of mental health and well-being. And I know that's really important to you important enough for you to want to be on the board of directors of Thrive Global, important enough in, I see you modeling it in how you're living your life and well-being and striking. I don't love to say balance. Balance always feels like it's setting us up for failure, but really you take time to fill yourself up. You take time to do things that are um, truly rewarding you, you know, different facets of you. So can you just talk about, I think mental health is a, an even more important conversation these days as we're, you know, unsteadily coming out of this global pandemic and we've got burnout numbers off the chart. We've got suicide rates off the chart. So tell me a little bit more about kind of what led you into the space of caring about this and what do you do for yourself in that space? You know, mental health has obviously never been more at the, the forefront than it is now. I think when you have, you know, the Simone Biles of the world and people like that talking oh, about it. Amen. Like it's not, it's more just that like, that is one of the greatest Olympians of all time. And if you had ever predicted that she would have, you know, feeling, feeling the way she was feeling at the time she was feeling, I mean, this isn't a 14 year old gymnast whose first Olympics was, this is like, however many time world champion, one of the most decorated people ever. And no one's ever seen her have a moment like that. And it just shows we're all, we're all susceptible to it. And so, um, yeah, to go back to the people we keep invoking, I love the Tony Robbins, you know, you, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you put on someone else. So, you know, if I can put that oxygen mask on or make sure I'm at my best, then I think I have the ability to hopefully help other people to be at their best. Um, I think going back to empathy, I feel like, gosh, like, compared to so many people, I have so many fewer reasons to feel any issues about my mental health. And yet I do, like we all do at moments, just different gradations and who knows what your level is versus mine versus someone else's. But if I even feel an inkling of it, I can only imagine what, what other people are feeling. Um, and it's just, it's just so real that I think I've, it's taken a long time to come around to the idea that, um, you know, if there's anything I've, I've, had my little cheats on during, during the pandemic and working remotely mostly it's that if I want to work out at three o'clock, that's fine. I mean, you know, for what I do, the work, there's no way to skirt the work. It's going to get done one way or another. And whether I do it at seven in the morning, seven at night, three in the afternoon, I, I know what I have to do. And luckily I'm at the point where I feel confident understanding mm. those, those tasks. So if I can take a 10 minute break, a 30 minute break, a one hour break, and I feel like that pays me back with like, an extra two hours of energy or whatever, you know, talk about your ROI, whichever moniker you use for it. That's a really good use of, of that to kind of give me, give me more reserves. Cause I, I, I'm lucky. And then I have, uh, you know, I've done DNA tests. And I have one of the genes for like a go, go, go motor and it works. But I also found that I was just without even knowing it was called burnout or having heard that term, I was finding that I would get to like the end of the day and I would just be so tired. Right. And maybe the end of the day is like nine o'clock at night, not 5 PM. 
But whether it's my friends or for my girlfriend or whoever it would be, it would just be like, well, that's not a, that this isn't a great thing because I'm showing up for some of the people I care about it most with no energy. So how can I manage my energy through the day? How can I, you know, I love, I, I, I'm generally an ascriber to like how the first couple hours of your day goes. So too goes your day. So I've tried to be really disciplined about um, not scheduling meetings before a certain time, having that first hour, maybe even ideally two hours to myself as kind of an a la carte, do it, do what I want. I have lots of gadgets in my house from infrared saunas to meditation routines and different things that I kind of do while I do other stuff. I love things that are um, what I call net zero dead time, meaning if I'm reading industry news or just catching up on things that happen overnight, sitting in a sauna is no different than sitting at my desk, right? Mm-hmm. Some for, for those kind of things, of course, there's a lot of things where it is different from sitting at your desk, but when it's just kind of catching up on things, checking the Slack banter within my company, things like that, um, it's nice to do other things while I do that. And so I think I'm just hypersensitive to now feeling like it used to be when I worked for other people in other places like Goldman, Goldman Sachs was a great experience, but every day is kind of the same, right? I was in it almost the same time. I was grinding almost the same way. Some of the people and some of the deals are different, but every day was pretty similar. I think my days are a lot different now in terms of what I do and how I do it. And there's just days I never, you know, occasionally I have a day now where I'm like, hmm, can't really seem to get out of bed for the first hour. I'm sitting in my bed with my laptop. I was like, okay, that's better than not working at all. But just rather than fight it, sometimes just kind of roll with it because you just, you know, you have those days where you don't want to work out. And the best thing is just working out, even if it wasn't quite your best, you know, personal performance. So it's, it's all those little things adding up to feeling like it's great. If there's, if there's anything um, that I feel like I love about my life now versus 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it's that I have more um, freedom in some ways. Uh, And with freedom comes responsibility. Cause like I said, I don't know that I'm working less in a lot of ways, but I love that having that freedom to do any of those things I just mentioned when I feel like I need it. And it sounds to me that inherent in what you just described, you're listening to your body. You're mm-hmm. listening to what do I need in this moment? And I think so many of us, t- I was one of the people who did this all the time, like tell myself a story, like push through, push through, you have to, you must, or you owe somebody else this thing. And I wasn't listening to my body, giving myself that hour, which would, you're right, give me five more hours of incredible energy or just saying, put the thing down now and go outside and walk or run or do whatever you need to do or call a friend. So I think it's really powerful. I mean, some people do have to go back into the office. I think we're, we're definitely coming out of this pandemic, getting to, you know, more flexible schedules and hybrid, and it is going to look different than it's ever looked before, even in the corporate world. We know this, but it's a great reminder. And you say it in your book too. I mean, the book that you and your, um, you and your brother wrote, I'll I'll put a link to it. Shortcut your, was it shortcut your startup, right? I have it right here. I was like, I thought I got the title wrong for a second. Shortcut your startup. You guys talk about this, right? The balance of productivity and all these productivity hacks and shortcuts and all those things. And at the same time, we have to be really thoughtful about our well-being so that that productivity doesn't drive us right into burnout. And I love that you're aware of it and that you're also aware of how we start our day is everything. 
Is there one tiny habit? And maybe this is a morning thing for you, but is there one, you know, I'm a fan of BJ Fogg and his tiny habits. Is there one tiny habit that's changed your life or changed your morning that you could share with everyone? I don't know that there's one habit because what I, part of what I love is I kind of have this a la carte menu and Mm. depending on time and my mood, I kind of do different things. Um, Similar to, I'm not as familiar with BJ, but similar to, you know, Ariana Huffington and part of Thrive's big mission is, you know, micro steps because. Yeah. Similar, exact same thing. Don't try to boil the ocean, take these micro steps. You look up and you go, Oh, I've actually come pretty far. And so I think, I think it's sometimes it's less, less important what it is, but more just that you're doing something. And so um, the one I've been doing most recently, and they certainly go in waves is, um, well, I'll give a shout out to two people. One is Sadhguru, who some people will probably know. I love Sadhguru and had the chance to uh, become friendly with him probably over the last couple of years. I interviewed him recently after I'd been to Tennessee to do this program. And he has this like morning meditation that, um, let's say it's, it's kind of some movement and some, some sitting still, which is great for me because I feel like I kind of have some expression and I kind of move through these things. And then there's a period where you have to sit still. So I love that when I have a little more time. Oh, I want to, can we get a link to that? Is it available that we could yeah, share it or that is one, it? What it's not actually something where you can quite share it because what you have to do to, to do his program, it's a little bit like a uh, martial arts he wrote a book called Inner Engineering. And then, so you can either read the book or as an online program. It's uh, about a 10-hour online course. You can do at any pace. And once you graduate from online engin- inner engineering, you're eligible to go to in-person and kind of <sighs> do this as the pinnacle. And they, t- they spend a whole weekend teaching this thing that's 29 minutes long, but it's very detailed. So, I mean, they spend the whole weekend um, just teaching you this kind of one um, series of, of movements um, that's that's really amazing. And so I, I love doing that. Um, the other thing that. I've done that you might know, are you familiar with Hoffman process? Hoffman yeah. Institute? Yeah. So I did that back in April. Can you describe what it is though? Because not everybody will know. I will not do it justice, but I would say it's a program that kind of in a positive way takes you, forces you to take a really critical look at your childhood and upbringing and realizing that, um, you know, we're all fallible people. And so your parents, despite likely having nothing but the best intentions are flawed beings. And they did this and this and this to you at maybe an age where you didn't even have a choice in the matter. And what has that done to you positively and negatively? And so it's really about identifying patterns and trying to kind of make, make changes there. And even if you're not making changes, just being aware of those patterns. And most of those patterns go back to um, very early childhood. And so they have this concept that a lot of other people have, they call it the quadrinity where you do these, they call them these quad checks where you check in with the four parts of your quadrinity, which are your intellect, your body, your emotional self, and your spiritual self. And I love that kind of quadrinity because for me, a lot of my life has been focused on, you know, just being in my head and the intellectual self, or it's been focused on sports and the body and certainly the emotional self. And for me, the spiritual self have kind of been neglected. And so this is a good way to remind yourself of all um, the different aspects of, of who you are and hopefully help me kind of keep them more front of mind and, and, and check in with all of them in totality. So, you know, mm. in five, five minutes or so you can do one of these quad checks where they have guided ones. And uh, I, I'm, I'm amazed. I always feel better after I do one of those. I love that. I'm a big fan of checking in. I'll often do actually just three of those, but do kind of the, how am I feeling mentally? How am I feeling emotionally? How am I feeling physically? 
but I love the quad check. I think that's beautiful. Do you try to do that every day? Because I think it's powerful for us to not blow past how we're feeling in mm-hmm. any given moment. And I think this culture that's addicted to busyness often says, don't pause. Who gives a shit about that? And checking in really helps guide your way forward. Absolutely. I mean, do I try to do it every day? Yes. Do I do it every day? No. <laughs> But, you know, I'm a kind of a believer in, in Pareto's law, 80-23 for most things in life. So if I if I intend to do these all every day and I do them all five days a week, I think that's pretty, pretty good. And so, um, like I said, there's I have all kinds of different counterbalances and mornings when I don't do that. I have like a little gratitude journal where I try to write down three things I'm grateful for. And, you know, usually I do that at night. Usually I do other stuff in the morning. Sometimes I flip it. So it just feels good to have. Uh, I guess options because it's it's nice to have habits, but we all know it's hard to keep a lot of them. So if you can not beat yourself up when you miss a day or two, but feel like oh I didn't do this, but I did do that, um, that feels really good for me. And I love that you have your a la carte menu that you select from. It's like what do I feel in this moment, right? You've carved out the time, and I just want to reinforce with everyone listening that that's the most important piece to me of what you described. Is like you carve out the time in the morning, and then it's like great. Now I'm going to check in and see what I feel like doing. Is it simple gratitude practice? Is it the quad check? Is it you know? Is it the infrared sauna? And I'll catch up on the news. Whatever it is but you've carved out that time for yourself and that that you know contributes to mental health and well-being right that gives you the energy to serve in all of the ways that you serve in your life so i know we're running short on time so i'm going to ask you one last question that it just feels right to ask you i'm very curious you're in touch with your soul i'm very curious what your soul is calling you to do next that scares the shit out of you uh i think i'm still tuning into the soul but i think i think my soul is you know at a point where as i said earlier what What's scared? What's been great is that I think I've acquired a lot more, a lot more freedom, but still in a container. Um, these last few years, um, like I said, you know, the the counterbalance to freedom is responsibility. I, I really believe that, and I think I just always have an overwhelming curiosity. So I always feel like the curiosity coming in, wanting more freedom, and trying to balance that with still maintaining the responsibility. And so I think I'm I'm thinking through how much freedom is enough and how much freedom is too much. And, and that idea, um, you know, both excites me and scares me, but I'm still, I'm still working through that because I have this really lucky um, space with which I can do most things. But um, as you, as you know, I spent um, some time in Europe this summer working from there. And, and just to touch on that, I think that was really interesting because um, you know, maybe I would say, if I'm being honest, I probably did work like 10% less based on a few factors, but that felt good because just with time changes, there are some forcing functions of there's only a certain, mostly a certain window of the day where I can set up meetings. Other than that, it was great to work asynchronously asynchronously on stuff I wanted to do. And I found that probably 20% of stuff that maybe I wasn't needed, maybe I wasn't helpful, and maybe I didn't want to do just kind of got dropped. And that was great. It was also great to kind of have these pockets where, okay, I'm going to hit this hard for three hours, take a little break, then there's another pocket. And so doing some of that felt really good because it really felt like you put everything through the lens of like, 
is this worth my time? Is this need to happen? Does this need to happen with me? Is this need to happen now? Is this a highest and best use purpose? Is this urgent versus important? Uh, and that was a really good forcing function to do this summer. And so I think the thing that um, excites me and scares me is thinking about what the next evolution of that might be for me. Oh, I love that. And I, I just want to know how you're also going to top because before you went to Europe, when I tuned into your, your Instagram feed one day, I saw you bungee jumping backwards in Zimbabwe, I think at Victoria Falls, right? Yes. yes. I was before- like... I think my heart stopped on your behalf. <laughs> it was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh that was a fun one. It's still up on my Instagram, but nothing like the, uh, uh, the kind of giant bungee, but doing it backwards definitely adds, adds an element. And my mom Ooh. was watching. So my mom was watching it from a, a cliffside cafe. So if anything happened, that would be, be oh quite a bit to, to end it all. But um, yeah, but we, it was, you know, it is, to go back to what you said earlier, we we took my mom on a, on a safari at the beginning of the summer. Um, you know, she's at an age and a stage where who knows, it might be her last one. It might not, but we kind of view everything with, if it is, then let's make sure we, we enjoy it. And um, she was, uh, yeah, that's something we used to do as a family with my dad and everything else. So it's just mm. feels good to keep those, those traditions. What a beautiful reminder. And I love that you're challenging yourself that you went to Europe and you're saying, yeah, what do I really need to focus on? What's important versus what we tell ourselves is urgent or we have to be there. Or we have to do the thing. Mm-hmm. You're really kind of messing with your own thinking, which is a beautiful prompt for all of us. So thank you. Yeah. I, I had wanted to do something like this for like five years in a combination of selling a company, my, my family stuff with my dad, just being busy, you know, it's never, never a good time, but I probably earlier this year realized that it wasn't going to be a perfect time with COVID, but if there was ever a time to try to do this with kind of the whole world working a little more remotely, and I think, you know, recognizing uh, mental health a little more, this, this was it. And so I'm so thankful that, that the stars aligned. I did. And, you know, by the way, it wasn't, there was a scenario where I could have easily been stuck in Europe or not gone to some of the places I want, but I, I was able to move, um, you know, pretty freely and safely. So it all worked out incredibly well. Well, and thanks for modeling what it means to live sabbatical, right? We live more authentically, courageously, and purposefully, and that's what you're doing and everything that we talked about. It's not even related to the travel, but it's just really in how you're living your life and how you're leading. And it's one of the many reasons why I appreciate this connection. And I'm so grateful that we got to have this conversation and I know we'll have many more. So thank you for joining me, my friend. This was good. Thank you for the free therapy session. Look forward to our next one. (laughs) I know. I hope our next one is in person. I'm going to try to get out there soon. So we'll figure it out. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you, Courtney. Yeah, and for everyone, thank you guys for tuning in. Stay bold, brave, and badass until next week. Bye. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at sylbatical.com and follow me at sylbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?